a little factual and a lot of fun, it's the least contentious peanut gallery in history. I'm Cooper Powers, and this is Unquote. Welcome back, y'all. This week is number 48 on AFI's Top 100 Movie Quotes list. Some like it hot. Released in 1959, this romantic comedy follows two womanizing musicians at the edge of the Roaring Twins, who in the interest of self-preservation and a certain sensuous blonde ukulele player, pose as bosom buddies in an all-female band. Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, and Marilyn Monroe all fall in and out of love by the end of the story. Our line comes at the very end of the film when Jack Lemmon, playing Daphne, playing Jerry, finally succumbs to the pressure of living a lie. The man he adores, Osgood Fielding, is ferrying the trio away for good, and after many lies that he hopes Osgood would find scandalous or would lead to rebuking him, yet to no avail, Daphne admits to Fielding that he is in fact, I'm a man! Osgood, with an ear-to-ear grin, casually replies, Well, nobody's perfect. Speaking of women, it was Mother's Day at the time of this recording, so I asked dear Sue Powers, my mom, if she would indulge me with an interview. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Oh, thanks, love. I love you. I love you, too. I'm, I'm so really, glad you're here. I'm, I'm glad I'm here, too, and I'm glad that we get to talk about Some Like It Hot, <laughs> the 1959 comedy, bosom buddy comedy. Oh, yeah. Literally bosom oh, buddy yeah. comedy. After and, the uh, fact. Right. And... Uh, <laughs> I had a uh, uh, Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe came was listed first. Well, she got first billing. Oh yes. Uh, and, well, that makes sense. And she also got ten percent of the profits, as opposed to Tony Curtis only got five percent. Really? And Jack Lemmon, I think, got three percent or something like that. Did Joe E. Brown get any? No, no, no. no. He was just there. The, he was just there <laughs> to deliver the one-liner, right? Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of the one-liner, the line in question is, uh, what is it, Mom? It's. Well, nobody's perfect. Well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> That's right. And it's, the, it's really the perfect closer, considering the entire scope of the movie. And, and did you know that it was actually, I think they called it a, uh, a place mark. It was not supposed to end the movie. Really? They were going to go back. It was put in as a placeholder. It was never supposed to be in the final cut. Isn't that cool? Hmm. Uh, but Billy Wilder and the others never came up with anything, so... Nobody's perfect. I guess it all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're going to hear that a lot throughout this episode. I think. Probably Nobody's so. Perfect. And another thing, too, is Tony Curtis actually used that line in the show, in the in the uh, movie. In line, did like you I see said. this movie in the theater? I did. You did? Yeah, Daddy and I saw it. You know, it came out in 1959. Well, you know, maybe we didn't because I wouldn't have even been old enough to go see it. Did you know that it was uh, uh, banned in Kansas? Totally. Yeah. And not only that, it was um, Memphis, Tennessee. It was adults only. Cool, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I learned a lot of stuff about it. You know, you you have intrigued me with your, um, your uh, unquote because not only do you have very wonderful people on there, but they give so many good backgrounds, and I wanted to be prepared. You're doing it justice so far. I'm very pleased. I'll find if you, that. If, if, you could, if you could get a visual of my mom thumbing through literally pages of notes that she took because she's that type of wonderful person yeah. to take time out of her mother's day to, to sit down with her son. Well, I was just so excited about you asking me to do this, and I kept saying, well, this is number 78, was it? No. What was it on oh, um, AFI? I can't remember. I can look it up. I can look it up. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. 
while you're looking that up, I'll try to find this about. Uh, oh. Oh, it was talking about the the music. It's right. Like right. Swing yeah. Music. The well, swim. Doing his his transatlantic. Carrie Grant accent. Well, I suppose some like it hot, but me, I prefer classical music as Junior, <laughs> Shell Oil Junior. Yeah, Shell Oil Junior. Shell Oil, it was the leading oil company in the U.S. in, in 1929. Hmm. Standard Oil was huge all over the world, but right. Shell, and it was from the Netherlands, this, yeah, it's uh, Dutch. this, inter, uh, this um, uh, guy that was shipping uh, seashells that he would collect, he and his grandson collected them. And they had a, what is that called where you have a business for shipment out, out of your country? Uh, exports. 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 Yeah. So they were exporting seashells. And, uh, and so he loved the, when he got involved with the oil companies somehow, and it was a pretty big deal as far as that goes. But, and the shell came from the fact that he loved the shape of a shell. Mm -hmm. And Tony Curtis actually had a bucket of seashells down there when he, he was. Yeah. Just call me Junior. Just call me Junior. Yes, the shell. And he didn't ever say he was Shell Oil. That was Marilyn Monroe's right. uh, assumption. You know, yes, after seeing the bucket of shells sitting next to him on the beach. But yeah, that's where it was said. I'm so glad you remembered that. But I wanted to start you off with, uh, I gave uh, adjectives to the film. Um, fun, fanciful, hilarious, romantic, entertaining, gender bending, mm -hmm. and risque. Mm -hmm. You know, and in I found this somewhere, but in 1999, uh, 1929, excuse me, it says, imagine combining a very depressed time in America is what I noted because the stock market crash, uh, prohibition, and that's what this hinged on in the very beginnings of the movie. You remember they mm -hmm. were having a chase with the cars and the, the thugs and right. mafia in the car. and The links that Lemon and Curtis went to surprised me. My mom had some interesting coaching tips that Billy Wilder used. Gender fluidity on stage is nothing new, as we came to discuss, especially as it relates to the humble origins of the Some Like It Hot story. He, they was, the Billy Wilder sent them into a woman's restroom, dressed up, mm -hmm. to get them in character. Wow. And they were also trained by a female impersonator, Babette. Huh. Famous female impersonator. Babette. Yeah, and he, he coached Lemon and Curtis... Uh, on uh, on how to be more feminine. I had no idea that Jack Lemmon was such a slave to his craft and delved <laughs> that deep into womanhood. Anyway, he just took it under wing and he came out of the bathroom and he was immersed in femininity as mm -hmm. far as that goes, even though he was the real comic of the two right. as far as their... But, you uh, know, it's not, it's not so far of a stretch because... I mean, you know, all, all the female parts were played by men in Shakespeare's day, anyway. That's so. true. That's true. And this was based, I don't I don't know how far back that type of stuff goes, but I do believe there's a Shakespeare play that, that does have some misidentification mm -hmm. of people, you know, whether they're male or female or whatever. Um, but I can't remember the name of the play. But I do remember, uh, you know, this came from a German, a very dry German play. Something like it hot, you mean? Yeah. Huh. Uh, and then it was made into a uh, actual theater production in France, and then uh, then Billy Wilder took the play and did the screenwriting, is what I'm assuming with that. You know, he directed it, but I think he did that too. And initially, talking about the actors, he wanted Frank Sinatra to play uh, Joe because hmm. he was the hot thing right. in 1959. But Tony Curtis had made a uh, a movie and was so handsome he thought 
And so he said he would play the better part as Joe because he actually plays Joe, Josephine, and Shell Jr. Yeah. <laughs> so he had a wild thing. You know, you talked about that little play with, uh, I mean, the play on words with him being uh, Cary Grant. Mm -hmm. That's what he, he fulfilled Billy Wilder's wildest dream. He always wanted to direct Cary Grant, but he never was able. Joe, or as uh, Tony Curtis as Joe, or Shell Jr., did the Cary Grant impression. And when Billy Wilder let Cary Grant finally hear it, Cary Grant said, I don't sound anything like that. <laughs> he would. He would say something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Or he would say it with his own, how would he say it with his own accent? No, I sound nothing like that. <laughs> That's it. That's it. The movie, very entertaining. Uh, and I, like I said, uh, imagine de the depressed time of the 29, 1929. Um, wars with mob bosses, gang style mur murders, uh, leading men in drag most of the movie. Mm -hmm. So it kind of really gave it a lighthearted effect, you know, because really when you think about it, how many murders were committed in that one movie? Yeah. <laughs> about, like, like uh, uh, you know, 10 at, at least the very 20, start. Yeah. you know? <laughs> With the popping out of a cake. Not, the not the historical event of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Right. And, and then uh, at the end, uh, when they were down in Florida and having that. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, uh, what... What, did you write down any other lines that you think might be uh, apt for I did, but finding them in these notes might be, <laughs> might be something. I'll, I'll go first then while you look. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I do enjoy Well, Nobody's Perfect. I think it's it's a terrific closer. I mean, it really just puts the button I on know. the... And it's hilarious that it's a placeholder because I can't imagine anything coming after that really? that would be as succinct and funny That's like true. That. That's true. Um, but I wrote down, because uh, it's, it's said several times in, in several different iterations, but... Um, uh, when Sugar says, story of my life, I always get the fuzzy end of the lollipop. And then, you know, uh, towards the end, uh, when, they, when they toast yeah, each other. Yeah, she says it twice. Yeah, here's, yeah. here's to hoping you get the sweet end of the lollipop. Exactly. With, with Josephine. Yes, and working exactly. His, his, his cross-dressing angle. And there. her actually being, you know, dumb, you know, dumb. She points her head. <laughs> see, dumb. Not, That's see, why not so always, bright. Not dumb. so bright. Dumb. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that double entendre, that was a sexual innuendo with that fuzzy into the lollipop but I I in my innocence I've seen the movie so many times and I make no connection to anything other than you know, always find the fuzzy end of the lollipop just cast aside mm -hmm. you know but I, I was reading about all these things and Billy Wilder had a real wild way of trying to add you know these uh comments as far as them being uh sexual in nature mm -hmm. you know I mean I always just found it just hilarious yeah. you know and and made the implication well that's how I always see after having raised four kids, that's how I see a lollipop stick, you know. So there was another one, and it's rather long, so people wouldn't remember it. But, you know, um, Marilyn Monroe had been through a couple of marriages, mm -hmm. uh, and she was married to Arthur Miller, who was a playwright. And she had um, gone through, you know, what people believe were episodes with uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. and... Uh, and of course, she was married to Joe DiMaggio, and some, uh, and I think one other person. I think she's reflecting on when she's talking to. I think it's Josephine, as uh, well. Tony Curtis as Josephine in the train, and they're talking about going to Florida to find a millionaire. Uh -huh. You know, and uh, she said, "I want." She, he asked her about, "Well, what kind of millionaire would you want?" And she she says, "I want mine to wear glasses. Men who wear glasses are so much more gentle." sweet and helpless. Haven't you ever noticed, she said, 
they get those weak eyes from reading, you know, those tiny columns in the Wall, Wall Street, Street Journal. Journal. <laughs> so I, I kind of, even though it was long, it impressed me because I don't know what kind of life she existed. I know she was found dead mm -hmm. in her swimming pool yeah, and she had drug, drug overdose. overdose, yeah. But Arthur Miller wore glasses and he was quiet and studious and I could just see him, not that he read the Wall Street Journal, but as a playwright, he did a lot of writing yeah. and reading and all that kind of stuff. That's a very so cool personal yeah, connection. Yeah, so hopefully she had some peace toward the end of her life. And I don't know why, but I know she was pregnant when she was making this movie. I read that and that she lost the baby. You know, yeah. she had a miscarriage. So, uh, a matter of fact, they did some filling in with not her body, but her face, um, where she had, had gotten a little larger than they, they liked. And so, you know, in a couple of scenes, it was not her body. It was- She had a body double. Yeah, body double. Interesting. Uh, as what I read anyway. So, uh, what I was going to say earlier about the kind of the, the sexual in the window and the commentary that Billy Wilder was trying to make was the uh, motion picture production code of, of the era was still kind of in full force that set forward those moral guidelines for right. films. Right. And it was funny because this film was so successful and so funny that it really just kind of kind of opened the opened the floodgates to to more sort of risque comedy movies coming out. This was kind of like the final nail in the coffin for really? the for the the Hayes code the Hayes code is what it was called because the guy the commissioner at the time was uh, his last name was Hayes and right. that was inaccurate as the motion picture uh, code. Well, it it did get a downer from the Catholic association that would determine uh, movie ratings and mm -hmm. so on um, because it it was uh, I have that written down in here because I thought it was so so cool, but you might ask yourself, you know, this top comedy film on AFI is 100 laughs poll in 2000, not just the name, the, in 100 years of, of, uh, of films, um, this led the, not led, but it was a top comedy film in that list, uh, listing. Sure, it was on AFI's list, but what sort of accolades did the film receive and why, stylistically, was the film black and white? Color films were being produced at the same time. You know, how come it didn't do well in the Academy Awards? I don't know how long, but it was in 1959 when it was released, it was in competition with Ben-Hur. Yeah, and Ben-Hur was in color, too. And Ben-Hur was in color. There were actually color movies still being made, and they, yes. they decided to go black and white. Well, you know why they decided to go black and white? Why is that? Oh, to, to make it reminiscent of the... No, like, you would think so. Yeah. You would think so, because that would be cool. Yeah. And I thought it was cool for that reason, too. Yeah. But I read it, they decided to go black and white is because Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon look so garish in their makeup <laughs> in a color film. Yeah. They looked so, so garish. They, you know, they just looked ridiculous. Right. And, and he, he opted to just do all black and white. Which you think would be part of the appeal. But look, now thinking on it, I can, if, I've seen the colored in poster of, of of the movie poster, right? If that's any indication of what they look like. <laughs> it looked like they look like they just fell into a vat yeah, of mascara. Yes, and it, it looks like it might have been. It, it would have been so distracting mm -hmm. from the overall scene, because if you look at some of those close-ups of, uh, say, someone like who is very handsome, uh, Tony Curtis in his makeup as Josephine, he he does look really odd. And Jack Lemmon went on to win a Golden Globe in March of 1960, okay, as the best actor in a comedy musical motion picture. And the only Academy Award that they won, the only one they won in 1950, in 1960, April of 1960, 
is when the Academy Awards were for the previous year. Right. Was Best Costume Award for Black and White Film. They were up for a lot of nominations. Right. But that's the only award they got in the Academy Awards. Isn't that something? Best Costume for Black and White Black Film. Black and White Film. Well, I guess it's good they yeah. went Black and White so they could at least scrape by with one Oscar. Yeah, they were nominated uh, Best Director, Billy Wilder. Best uh, Cinematography for Black and White was a Mr. Lang, art, or Ms. Lang, I'm not sure who it, Mr. Ms. Uh, art director, black and white, and screenplay was Wilder and Diamond. Ben-Hur was up for 11 awards. I know, it, it swept. It swept the whole thing. I'm and, and speaking of sugar, I wish, I wish my sister hadn't just, I wish your daughter, my sister, hadn't just left because we could do our, our famous uh, sugar! Okay, sugar! Come on! Uh, Jack Lemon was a character. I mean, he, he played the part so well. Hey, y'all, this is a quick advert break. If you love listening to Unquote, then you should check out the other great shows on the Rogue Intel Podcast Network. For instance, the great gals over at the Round Trip Podcast. I'll let them tell you more. Hi, everybody. This is Renee. And this is Kim from Round Trip. So if you love travel as much as we love travel, you should listen to the Round Trip Podcast on the Rogue Intel Podcast Network. Or check us out on iTunes at Round Trip with Renee and Kim. And we're back. Take it away, Mom. You would appreciate this. And again, this might have been, oh, something funny about their feminine femininity. Not only did they do well learning from this female impersonator, but uh, the line that he that Jack Lemon says as uh, Daphne, <laughs> I'm Daphne, was, I'm Daphne. <laughs> was when they were walking behind uh, Marilyn Monroe catching up to the train. You know, looks like Jello. <laughs> looks like Jello on springs. Yeah, it's on got springs. A built, it's got a built-in it. motor. That's it. That's it. That was cute. One thing that and what I know you will like, and I thought about you when I read this and watched this. Was, well, you're always thinking about me. I do. I do think about you an awful lot. I just think the world of you, and I love that you're asking me to do this. Are you me. sure this isn't Son's Day and not Mother's Day? I think you're, you're, le- you're levying a lot of praise on you, me right now. You, You're worth it. But um, something that really I thought, the reason I thought of you is all of the references that you've looked at so far with um, Little Caesar mm-hmm. and some other lines, you know. Billy Wilder was so impressed at that time of America and the the early movie actors that he used them in this film. And also had Edward G. Robinson, who must have been the son of the late Edward G. Rob or Edward Robinson, right. whatever. And he was the guy flipping the coin. And so that's where that, that one line that I did write down, where'd you pick up that cheap trick? You know, because uh, Spatz says that to so him. So the guy flipping the coin was Robinson. He was he, he was Robinson's son. He played Little Caesar. Might might have been. Might have been. I'm not. I, you'll have to look that up. But I thought that was kind of cool because that's when uh, George Raft walks by as uh, Spatz. Uh-huh. If you ever need somebody to do fact finders for you, look me up. And then the last one is Spatz uh, goes to smash a grapefruit in the henchman's face. He did the same thing. It's an iconic scene from The Public Enemy, which is an old gangster film as so well. So it's a throwback is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, a throwback to that, right. So uh, I think that... I think what, that is it with, what is it with mafia men and, and fruit? Because <laughs> there's oranges all over The Godfather. There's... Might, be, might be something to do with... Uh, <laughs> 
They're from a lot of them were from Italy. You know, That's true. A lot of fruits right. and citrus. And but you don't see you don't see figs anywhere. Well, I guess figs <laughs> are kind of more Mediterranean, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Or... This is one of my favorite comedies. But what's made it stick throughout the years? Sexy banter, awkward blossoming romance, and bunk beds. Well, what did you think of the film? And besides that, what besides that one line? Did you have some other lines? I love this movie. I think it's so funny. And, you know, there are certain aspects of it that I think are timeless. Just kind of the humor, the interplay between, you know, male and female kind of sexual tension. And Go ahead. What did you think of Daphne's train bed uh, party? Oh, <laughs> the, the, the surprise party? The surprise they... party with the alcohol that someone had, and they had a, a water bottle to, you know, a... a, a thermos, not ther- therm- a, 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 a heater bottle. Heater, yeah, yeah. old rubber heater bottle right. that they were mixing the drinks in. Well, it, it definitely reminded me of earlier times when I was a proud owner of a bunk bed, and I was able to fit at least 10 other people up there. You're kidding. For, oh, of course, yeah. I was curious, how much levity do you need to counterbalance violence in film? Mom weighed in and is a bastion of hope for the tender-hearted. Here's another one, um, and I, I forgot, maybe you could help me think of who said it. Some people got no respect for the dead. Before, I, think I think it was the police chief. Was it the police chief? It was. Or maybe it was said to him. I'm not real sure, but, uh, but I thought that was kind of a cool line because, I don't know, son, nowadays in most movies... You know, uh, I know this had some some really gory scenes in it when you mm-hmm. stop and think about yeah. mass murder or whatever. Which which was weird for it to get away with under the guise of comedy, I yeah, think, for the time. Yeah, yeah. But then, I mean, it was, it, was, yeah. it was only 59, so... And just like the poor poor guy just pumping the gas into what's-her-name's car in yeah. the garage, you know, get over here, yeah. you know, come join us or something like that. But I was going to say, nowadays, I, th- I think people are desensitized as far as... Um, murder on the screen you know or you know great numbers of people like when a when a super superhero you know hits his hand against something and pe- lays hundreds and hundreds of people flat you know we just don't stop to think about it or even aliens you know just right. getting wiped out but i think it was done in the name in the name of entertainment and so uh so it mixed enough of the humor and the tension like you said of, of just them being, you know, really seeking out a way to keep their lives about them because they just saw this murder and they, you know, run right. as fast as they can. I think and that's a testament to both the male leads acting. You uh-huh. know? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it, it, was, it was always funny, but, you know, you, you're right about the desens- desensitizing uh, aspect of it, but it was always funny because they're on the lamb, but they're still getting a laugh a minute. I know. know? I mean, and you've, we've seen we've seen fifteen people get wasted, you know, yeah. almost towards the end of the movie, and they're still just, you know, on, on the on the run. Yeah, just, you see even Spat's shoes coming out, you know, and they're under the car right, right. in the lobby of the hotel. You know, mm-hmm. by the way, that hotel was in California. Another line I found. Another line. Josephine says to Daphne, and Spat's in the hotel lobby right before. Uh, seeing knows maybe it's spats it says but i thought it was josephine to daphne maybe you can clarify it. it said you can't make an omelet without breaking an egg well who was that was that josephine that was, and daphne i believe that was daphne to oh no that was josephine to daphne what are you giving me with the omelet you know <laughs> trying trying to trying to wile his way into marilyn monroe's heart in any way right. he can at any capacity and and 
you know, Daphne's the, the sensible one, woman in the group. Oh, honestly. yes, yes. And uh, Even yeah. though Josephine is the aloof one, you know, after right. studying at the conservatory of, uh, what was the name of that silly? Sheboygan. She, that's right. That's right. Conservatory of Sheboygan. <laughs> Tell the girls to watch their mouths. You know, we got classy ladies in here, whatever. Anyway, that was the other line uh, besides the, no. well, nobody's perfect, you know, uh, after him going in. And even though it was uh, not anything that um, uh, was a line necessarily, but it was, uh, some of the information was so cool that Billy Wilder wrote in the movie script about the supposes. Uh, you know, they're fleeing and they're trying to, they were tr no, they were trying to get a job. And it's freezing cold in Chicago. Josephine, or Joe, is saying to Jerry, mm -hmm. when he says, suppose this, you know, oh, he was wanting to sell their instruments? To, yeah, he was wanting to hawk everything. To put it on a, a race dog? Because it was, what was it, Grease Lightning? Grease Lightning, yeah. <laughs> in the whatever. Go, Grease Lightning. Yeah, go. <laughs> and I thought about that when they named it Grease Lightning in, what was the name of that movie? Uh, Grease. Grease. Very slippery <laughs> Thank you, subject. Sir. There you go. Slipped right out of my mind. References to 1929 in this 1959 movie uh, was when Jerry uh, was saying to, um, no, Joe's comments to Jerry, suppose the stock market crashes. Suppose Mary Pickford divorces Douglas Fairbanks. Suppose the Dodgers leave Brooklyn. Suppose Lake Michigan overflows. And all of those things happened during that time yeah <laughs> and it, they were making rest so i thought that was kind of cool you know so we can't Don't look live now in... but the whole town's underwater <laughs> what is that from that's from the movie really yeah, it was that, it was, oh it was that, that had to be jerry because jerry was. was always doing he always had good comebacks he, he was a great guy uh, i like the name of the band Sweet, Sweet Sue, Sue and her society. Society syncopators. 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 That's it. You say it better than I. Sweet Sue. Sweet. Well, don't I spoke too soon. Sweet Sue and her society syncopators. And I really, really, actually wanted to name you Beanstalk. A beanstalk. That's when you were born. I, I really would not was. have had the semi-successful <laughs> podcast I have now, going through life with that. Oh, name. you might have had it better, honey. You might have had it better. Why that mine? Why? Well, nobody's perfect. In your mind, why do you think that that? What, do you think it's just because it sums up so nicely all the flawed characters in the movie, or what? What are, what are your thoughts on that? I always feel like AFI has a reason. In each episode, I try to just figure out just the tiny, just just hint at the surface of their reasoning behind it. Well, here we have a boat leaving a dock with some various people. sexes. Yes, <laughs> three three. Uh, dressed females, one actual female, <laughs> yes. and one uh, billionaire who's been married many, many times. Ma, ma, Mama. Ma, Mama lost count. Mama yeah. lost count, yeah. Have you, you know, known anybody who was perfect? No, just one person, you know, just one person. I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, mm -hmm. and he's, I know he's perfect. In a sense, it kind of covers every man and every woman. <laughs> <laughs> or every woman or man dressed whatever, like a woman. Whatever the case may be. <laughs> you know, well, nobody's perfect. Uh, you know, because it was just a, a, a little insert, it makes me wonder if it did have a purpose. Because if it was meant as a throwaway. Yeah, 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 yeah right. Uh, just to end a movie. And why, why would it have to end that? Well, I guess it had to because, 
you know, he was, uh, Jerry was, or jo, uh, Daphne, excuse me, was making every excuse in the book as to why, well, I, I can't wear her dress, you know, it's not the right size, or it goes on, and I, and I smoke, and, you know, all these things, and, and he throws off his wig finally, and says, you know, I'm a man, I'm a man, in his manly voice, and it was kind of interesting, son, because after Joe E. Brown says, uh, well, nobody's perfect, you know, or what was his, what was his name in the screen? Osgood. Osgood Fielding, Fielding the, third. the Third, right. Um, you know, I, I would have preferred Osgood over Beanstalk, to be completely honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I would have probably named you Osgood Beanstalk. Osgood Beanstalk? <laughs> See, Are oh, you sure you love me? Do you have any views on it uh, as far as that? I, I kind of think it was just Billy, Billy Wilder uh, being content after throwing so much out there as far as, you know, innuendos about sex, uh, sex, murders, lies. All of that was existing in that one movie, you know, and, and so maybe that was the best ending. Like you said, you know, there aren't perfect people in this world. And here we have people deceiving, you know, the, even after she, as jo, uh, as Daphne gets that gorgeous diamond bracelet, you know. That's worth its weight in gold. That's worth it. <laughs> you know, uh, and it's going to hawk it. They're going to take it and live wherever. Uh, he, he has a tender enough heart to, to let him give it to Sugar, because he didn't want Sugar to be so hurt. And uh, when he called and said, you know, the papa said, I must marry this girl from Venezuela. It's part of an oil deal or whatever. Right. Even though we as imperfect people have a choice to not be so imperfect, to be, you know, somewhat apologetic about uh, misgivings we might have about another person or a view that we might not necessarily hold truth from someone else, we can at least, um, you know, appreciate least, their struggle, you know. Yeah, we can at least grin and bear it. Yeah. Maybe maybe not with a grin as big as Joey Brown. But oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Because it's a very, it's, this might be reaching, but I guess, you know, love really does conquer all, whether you're a millionaire or <laughs> pretending to be one. Well, and two, remember, uh, Jer uh, Daphne, said, well, I, I, we'll have a, you know, we'll have a, uh, the wedding, and then I'll tell him, and then we'll divorce, and I'll get a big settlement. Right. And he said, if you recall, why would, why would you do that, Josephine says? Why would you do that? Security. <laughs> you remember when uh, Daphne said that? Security. When, when other time in my life would I have a chance to marry a billionaire, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, in that sense, he's he's revealing, you know, something that we all have, you know, as far as insecurities or whatever. And so for him, never having a dime and being so hungry, you know, that he haven't eaten for a week and them going to each little uh, door looking for a job as musicians. I know this was in 1959, uh, but the the period of time that they're talking about when so much was going wrong in the world, you know, and in, it was also in 1929 that the, I want to say the Netherlands had a, a pack to where there would be no more wars. This was after World War One, and in, in 1929, kind of yeah, it was called the Young Bill or the Young Deal or whatever. And it wasn't armistice, it was just you know, projecting, let's not do this again, you know, as far as wars, because so many millions of people were killed in World War One. You know, we, we you don't reflect on that war 
we reflect on World War II, which again, millions of people, you know, suffered and died and, and you know, because of war. And um, my, my point being that um, during that time of 1929, talking about their need for money and his need for security, a woman who was employed during that time, the, the, after the Wall Street, well, the Wall Street market crash or called Black Tuesday, October 29th of 1929. At that time, the average girl in New York City, and they say girl because there were no age laws, or whether it was an industry or whatever, I would think a more professional person could get a job as a stenographer or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but the average girl in New York City working 50 hours per week earned $33.50 a week. And this all-girl band, I thought, was kind of neat because I don't know how many existed yeah, in the Yeah, it seemed 20s. like some sort of haven for... Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about the music in it. That's kind of cool. Okay. What, uh, did you, what did you like about the music? Well, it was all music from the, the 20s era, the Roaring 20s era, which I, I really think it gave it such... Were any of these songs written for the Broadway production? Oh, not the Broadway, no, but the, the French, think, French no, production? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but there was By the Sea... Mm -hmm. I, I remember my mom's uh, kind of saying, I want to be loved by you, by you, nobody else but you. Sweet Georgia Brown mm -hmm. was being played in there. Running Wild, which is what she sang on the train. And then the music <laughs> that Jerry and Joe danced to uh, was uh, La Campanara or something like that. A beautiful tango is what right. it was. And, and during that time, too, in 1929, you know, I think about all the people. You, we just saw the glamorous things, you know, people being able to ride a train. And then, you know, uh, Jerry and Joe saying, uh, you know, that, hey, we'll have lodging, we'll have food every day, we'll have, you know, all we have to do is dress and drag. And getting back to the dressing and drag part, because Marilyn Monroe had such gorgeous outfits, this, this, the uh, people that did the costumes, this O-R-R -R and really or something like that, uh, or that it's a hyphenated name, I think that's what it is. They, um, they insisted that they didn't want just dresses picked up. This was 1959. They didn't want dresses just picked up at a, at a store. They wanted dresses made for them. So that's what some mighty gorgeous outfits even they had on, you know. Hence the Academy Award nomination. There you go. Uh, no, the award. Oh, they the actually award, yeah. won the award for the black and white costuming. You know, so not only did Marilyn have them, but they demanded that they have uh, costumes made for them that were, you know, beautiful costumes as well. So they could really look good as society syncopators. <laughs> yeah, I probably didn't answer your question sufficiently at the end about, well, nobody's perfect. No, I think, and I don't you, wanna, I think you did. I don't want to get too philosophical about it. Well, but. please go ahead. That's what the show's for. <laughs> there's, a, there's a tendency for, I think, people to overlook the frailties that they have, you know, and, um, and these people just cast them aside in this movie because they were fighting for survival. You know, uh, Jerry and, uh, or uh, Josephine and, and Daphne, you know, for actually physical survival, you know, and, uh, um, the stronger characters in that movie, I think, were, uh, of course, um, Josephine and Daphne, you know. Uh, and, it, and it's something, though, that Marilyn Monroe was the lead character. He, he initially wanted um, another actress to pet, play that part. But when he found out that Marilyn Monroe was available, 
he immediately asked for um, if she wanted to do it, and she certainly, Mitzi Gaynor, was who he initially considered for the role as Sugar. But uh, when he found out that she had, because she really Wilder had worked with her, and I've never seen this movie, uh, Seven Year Itch, in 1955, and he had worked with Marilyn Monroe then. And there were some complications because Marilyn was already on the decline. She, I think she died in 1962. You know, she was just always sort of helpless, you know, when you think about it in the movie. Did you find her character to be really strong at any given time? I mean, you think about the guy that, you know, that threw the uh, coleslaw in her face, the guy that she, the previous saxophone player that she had left. And that's another one that I had written down somewhere around here about her. And, and so really, she, she certainly wasn't perfect. The deception of um, Josephine, or no, Shell Jr. at the beach, where he implies his wealth by picking up that bucket and saying, uh, Shell, something my father and I collected, she naturally gathered Shell oil. So she was, very, she was quite an innocent, wasn't she? I Don't you so. think? In the sense of really saying things, but not, you know, I, I say that not as a person necessarily. Uh, I, I will say this, that it's something about, uh, interesting about 1959, said gen gender inequality in reverse in this movie, uh, in the sense that Marilyn did make 10% gross amount of money, uh, Tony Curtis 5%. Uh, but anyway. So Sugar... All in all, Sugar got the sweet end of the lollipop with that with that top billing. Right? Yes, she did. I have had so much fun. I have fun talking to you. I too. had a ball watching the movie. Daddy actually let me uh, watch it with him. I did fall asleep. You know me. Well, that's part of your movie going. Nazi. Yeah. And then I, you got you got a brief five minute summation <laughs> from Dad. Let, let me. I said, what brief, did I miss? You got a brief ten second he summation. Said, he said, yeah, he's very uh, very succinct. I, I, uh, I said to Dad, I said, what did I miss? He said, about two hours. <laughs> I said, I know I didn't. Anyway, I love you. I love you, too. I had fun. I'm glad you had fun. Thank you for being on the show, Thank Sue you Powers. for doing You're welcome. <laughs> Unquote was produced and edited this week by me, Cooper Powers, as part of the Rogue Intel Podcast Network. Okay, so you're a fan of the show and you want to contribute. A, that's awesome, you rock, and B, you can do so by typing in rogueintel.com slash Amazon. This little nifty web portal access gives us a kickback every time you purchase something on Amazon. You can find me on social media. Let's interact sometime. On Facebook, it's the Unquote page, and on Twitter, it's at UnquotePC. Music this week provided by Aqua Stone Throne, Aerosmith, and a kick-ass remix of Tame Paula's Cause I'm a Man by the Haim Sisters. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'm <clears throat> Osgood Beanstalk Powers, and keep the film rolling. You know, uh, Osgood, Oswald, Oswald, what's his name? That's, Osgood. That's, that's going to be in the post roll. <laughs> Oz, the great and powerful fielding? Oswood. Osgood. Osgood. You like... are a jewel. Oh boy, here it comes. My vocals. Your vocals. <laughs>